gifts that you've given and the heart reached it out to touch them. We're good? We ready to go? One of the things that I've always liked to do, and I used to do it in the past because when I was introducing the true gospel, it was important for us to know that we were here to learn. And I always wanted to encourage everybody to say this, and I'm capable of learning. Of course, we all we know we're all capable of learning about things that we're interested in. Matter of fact, we'll go to YouTube and tear things upside down apart or whatever. But a lot of times when, the, when it comes to the Bible, the methodical study, I'm not talking about just taking a Bible story and then making it applicable to uh, something we're going through every day. I'm talking about the the very crux of the truth of the scriptures. It takes many, 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 many hours. It's, it's not unlike learning to play the piano. How many of you, you know, I got to tell you this funny story. Back when I was, my dad was pastoring in Noonan, Georgia, there was a, a lady there. It was a very Pentecostal church, and they would have a shouting time, you know, almost every Sunday night, sometimes on Sunday mornings. And, and uh, they would... I always think it was the best service in the world was when the preacher didn't get to preach, you know. It's like, man, it was so good. But there was a lady there who she'd been praying for years to play the piano. And she wanted God to just take his magic wand and hit her on the head, bippity-boppity-boop. And so she could wake up one day and play the piano. So whenever the, the, what they call the spirit moving and it began to happen and people began to dance and jump. And I mean, I, I, listen, I, I've, I've seen them walk, in the pew, walk on the pews. This lady would run to the piano under the spirit. And the poor little skinny piano player that my dad had playing there. So this lady would get on this end and she would bump her almost all the way off and she would just start banging. Just hoping that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chords would be formed and it would just come upon her. But she just banged and banged and banged. So for a few minutes there it seemed, she was banging away. Well, I was playing guitar on the stage. And she stopped, and she looked up at me, and I looked down at her, and I was like, no, no. So when she, I just, when she come running up there, I just handed her my pick, and she started strumming my guitar. So I just kept trying to do the chords up there, you know. And so I guess she said, if, if God ain't going to let me play the piano, I guess I can learn to play the guitar. He'll give me the gift of playing the guitar. So when it comes to Bible things, you know, the hithers and the thizzers of the King James and the Greek and the all, I mean, it's like learning to play the piano studying the Bible is. And it just don't happen overnight. You have to dig in the riches. It's not just laying on the surface. So I wanted people to say, look, and I'm capable of learning this. I think we have to tell our minds this because a lot of people think, well, I just can't learn that. I'm just, uh, you know, I just can't learn that. But then I always said this, our salvation depends on what we know because we can't do what's required if we don't know. And then I always wanted people to understand that they have purpose. Everybody may have a purpose. I don't know. All I know is that, that we have been predestined only for one thing in the earth. Not to be a scientist or a doctor. We're not predestined to be anything like that. The Bible says this. And, and, and so when I tell people that I believe in predestination, not what they're talking about. I'm talking more about foreknowledge. But we have been predestined by God, listen to this, to be conformed into the image of Christ. That's a purpose. That's the only purpose. There's no other purpose. So you have purpose. That means that this house has purpose. And the purpose is to ultimately fill the earth with the glory of God, which is another word for character. People who are like Christ, who is like God, and reflect that character. And to have an ecclesia that will be a great place where God is, where he puts his name upon so we can, you know, ultimately get our well done. So there are only certain ways that you can get your well done. This is what's happened. And this is what, this is way before COVID, people believe this. They are under the ignorant assumption that they can get a well done by themselves. Years ago, there was a group of people who, uh, these were businessmen. 
And they were telling me that the church was obsolete. You don't need church anymore. And, and you don't need, you know, ecclesia, anything like that. And the reason they said that is because what they wanted to do, these businessmen wanted to hang on to their money. And so they didn't believe in tithe or anything like that. They were the ultimate because they made money and they therefore were going to have their own. And I forget what they called it. I think it was like a, a B12, C12, sick. I mean, whatever the th popular thing was there. And so they had a group of people that came who were businessmen who, who, who tried to do anything. And I'm not against us having businessmen. I love it. And, and having a godly business. But their whole thing was getting there. Let's make profit. And let me, I'm going to teach you how to, you know, how we're going to get together talk about that. And we're going to throw in some, some Jesus in there. And we're going to throw in some Bible verses. And maybe the... The law. So I understand that in order for us to accomplish our purpose is that we have to accomplish it the only way God has allowed us and the avenue and the highway by which we can receive and be on the path to that purpose. And I always tell people this, look, I don't want to just inspire you today. I carefully over a period of time have listened to the what would be probably known the greatest inspirational, positive preachers in America today. And I like it. I like it. But after about the third message, you'll find out they don't have but one message. They just have a different Bible story and a different testimony to it. It's only one message. And the fact is that message does not endure tests and trials and tribulations. And so, you know, but not, and I love, I love being positive. I, you know, one guy told, accused me one time of, hey, you're just too positive. I said, well, you want me to be negative? I mean, I can say, oh, it's never going to work. You know, we're all, gonna, we're all just going to fail. We're never going to be happy. I, I, I don't want to live like that, do you? And, and so that, the alternative is that. But I don't want to just encourage you today. I don't want to just motivate you today for you to just renew your mind to where you just think positive things all the time. I, just, I can't let that negative thing. Let me see what that negative thing will do. It will jump on you and get inside of you and speak to you. You can't just say, no, 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 and expect the, the yes, 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 yes to go away. We're in a warfare. So what God does he changes us from the inside out. And in the process, of course, we do things in obedience on the outside to align ourselves with his will. It's not optional, you know. In this house, you have the opportunity to be carefully nurtured of the process that is no different than the umbilical cord and the placenta does to an embryo. God has never made laws that are unwise are too difficult and he wants us to follow him those things and obey him in the implicit trust that a little child has when he just runs around naked in front of his parents no apprehensions no anything total trust because Yahweh is gradually developing and maturing his sons and daughters down this path to maturity down the path of understanding and, and our causing our faith to grow. Real faith that stands up in the midst of adversity and storms. He's desiring a development of a character that's going to be pleasing to him, that's going to look just like him, talk like him, so he can display the wondrous beauty of his work in a piece of pottery that was dirt and Disease with sin. Of course, nobody thinks they need to be saved from sin because most Christians I know are trying to catch sin again. Like I told the guy, I said, man, you need to put a mask on not for COVID. You need to put it on for sin because you expose yourself to sin too much. So I'm going to stop right here. And I'm going to do what I'm doing every week. I, I really appreciate, like I said, I... It's hard for me to get by digital giving and whatever it is, you know, the text giving. Jonathan says, you got to do it, Dad. This is the way everybody's doing it now. You know, we can give on the website. We give on Venmo. We give cash out. He's got to set up. We'll just take it in all kind of ways. 
And so we're stopping now to all those people because there's a lot of people having church with us right now in their homes. People that you don't even know. They receive me as a spiritual father and as their apostle, even though they can't be in the ecclesia because of where they live. Maybe they, their job takes them off somewhere. So we're going to stop, and I'm going to stop right now and receive tithes and offerings from them. As you do that and you give at this time, Doug will put the information on, on, on there. And this is what I want to say. As a spiritual father, I want my sons and daughters in the natural and the spiritual that every time they sow a seed, it comes back a hundredfold to them. I, why wouldn't I? What do you want for your children? I don't care if people criticize me for saying a hundredfold. I don't care. I want a hundredfold for you. And I'm praying over everything that you give that's above your tithes and offerings will come back to you a hundredfold. And I want, I want you to say with us this morning that this, every bill is paid, every need is met, every debt is removed with more than enough left over to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Do you receive that? God bless you all today. Now get ready. Go ahead and say what I like to say too. Bless me, Lord. I bless the Lord every day of my soul and all that's in me, but I also say, bless me. Matter of fact, I'll wrestle for my blessing just like uh, uh, Jacob did. I'll wrestle God for a blessing. You know, one of the things I hate years ago when I first started talking about spiritual fathering, and, and of course, when people hear something new, the first thing they do is reject it. Isn't that true? I hear that, oh, I, re I rebuke you, Satan, get away from me. But, you know, as, as you take time with people and nurture them, they understand that what spiritual fathering is. Some people say that it's trying to control people. Well, some people have done that. The apostleship, people want to be apostles so they can be over somebody. But in the reality of it, Paul said in chapter 4, verse 19, he said, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. One of the things that I hate is abortion. But what I hate as much and probably more than natural abortion, and that is spiritual abortion. Can you, who would ever believe that a man could get pregnant and give birth to another man on the inside of him? Well, that's the gospel. The sower sows the word in other men. And after a time, that seed, the Bible calls it an incorruptible seed, not the corruptible one, but incorruptible one, the one that will, you will get at resurrection. It's going to produce Christ in them. I don't think we've been fair to people. When I preached that funeral the other day, I had to be honest with people and say, look, i got to tell you, that once saved, always saved is a lie. You need to know that that seed can be choked out or aborted. Seen it hundreds no, I'm going to tell you, I've seen it two times in my life. Too many times. So now Christ isn't being formed in them anymore. Cares of life, the deceitfulness of riches, and lust of things will abort your baby Jesus, your baby Christ that was trying to mature. So what happens usually once the abortion takes place or that baby is getting choked, I mean, my, my oldest son came out of the birth canal with the, the uh, umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. And I want to tell you, we, was very, we were very concerned because that will choke the oxygen from his brain. We were very concerned. So what happens is, once we, what we started off in faith, we try to finish in the flesh. I got it. Oh, I, I, I got it now. I got it. I got it. And this is what we need to stop doing. Quit trying to improve things in our lives that Yahweh says needs to die. Well, I'm going to do that better. No, he, that's got to die. One of the things that I did and went through, and I'm trying to help maybe save you the torment and the pain of, is I wanted to find myself. One of my wife's favorite songs is Jupiter. That song, you know, where you were out trying to find yourself. You went to Jupiter, and you see, they just fall and start, whatever. And this is what I believe the Bible is clear. I'm lost, and he finds. So we watch Dr. Phil, and we read psychology books and stuff, and what these books are doing, they're trying to tell us how we can find ourselves. This is what somebody told me. Nobody can help you but you yourself. I said, I can't even help me. 
Only God can help me. The touch of his hand, the light shine in dark places. And I found out that uh, trying to find myself was just another way of my pride refusing to relinquish governing my own life. It's called self-government. I'm going to control this. I'm going to change me. I'm going to do this. And we can, and then we, you know, we started off with scriptural things, but then it slips off into, you know, other terminology. Let me tell you what the Bible says. The only way to find your life is you must lose it. There's a good gospel. That's the gospel right there. You don't find your life. You've got to lose your life, period. And the fact means this, and this is the conclusion that I said in my own brain. Now, if I'm lost in the woods, and I get in the woods, and I find myself, guess where I'm at? Still lost. I found myself many times, only to find out that I was still lost and not allowed the glory and the light and Yahweh to deliver me. See, let me tell you what Yahweh does to people he loves. I mentioned it earlier today. He chastens us. He brings correction to us trying to once again take on our own power to change a circumstance. The sad thing is I wasted a lot of years doing it. I'm going to do this, I can do that, and I get some knowledge, and I'm going to change that. There's, there's three ways to respond to the chastening of the Lord, the Bible says. Number one, you can faint. And I see it happen all the time. It don't work, this going to, it don't, blah, blah. And people can faint way before they leave church. Y'all know that? People faint years before. They're, they're fainted, and they're here, but they ain't really here. The second thing you people can do in response to the chastening of the Lord is you can despise it. Now, I'm quoting the scriptures here, okay? Hebrews 12. So we, we are despising how God's treating us. We despise it when we are corrected. When somebody looks at you and says, hey, you need to straighten that out. Somebody who is over you and you have, they have spiritual authority over your life. And then number three is the last way, and that is we endure the chastening of the Lord. So no matter how we figure this, ultimately, you and I should always keep in the forefront of our mind that the kingdom of God coming to earth should be of an immediate concern to us. The problem is, when I was a kid, they always talked about Christ coming soon, you know, and, and now I'm 65, he ain't come yet. But I do realize now that 65 is really like a vapor. Because it was only like yesterday when I was five. It was only 10 or 15. It's gone by so quick and everybody, all the kids are grown up. You know, there's kids that you knew born, they're driving now. And we, maybe we were talking the other day about this, this uh, young man. And she said, I think he's like 45 now. I mean, how old's Richard now? 50-something. She don't even want to admit it. And I really honestly don't think a lot of people are praying every day and say, thy kingdom come. Because life is pretty good to us, and I don't think we really want to leave right now or God to come interrupt our king, little kingdom either. Can I be honest? Can we be honest? Come on. Well, you know, don't interrupt my, don't, you know. But, but we should be praying. When we're going to pray like Yahweh taught us to pray. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, that should be how we're praying, and that should be a daily goal. But I think we also, in, in, in light of what I've taught in the past few weeks also, and what the Bible said, Psalm 90, 12, here's a prayer that Moses prayed. Yahshua told me how to pray. Moses was a pretty big deal too. Y'all understand that? He was the Yahshua of his time. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. What does that mean? Okay, I know I only have so many days here, and I want to make sure that I'm using them wisely. And then the Apostle Paul, who I thought was a pretty important character, if we say we're Christians. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, he said, see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, watch this, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And then, for me, I think you should believe me when I tell you that true change in character development can only happen 
when we reflect the light of Yeshua in our darkened heart. Anything else that we do to try to change or get, gain character is nothing else but our flesh doing the same old march. That didn't work. I'm going to try this. That didn't work. He just got on a different uniform. So easy to take the world's interpretation, especially with, with uh, the Internet now. You can find out almost everybody's interpretation in a way. Or the human mind that the Bible says is incapable of understanding the things of the Spirit. The, the things that we're talking about, that how God changing us, is only spiritually discerned. So, but we can get terminology. And, and one of the things that I have done is I have used psychological terminology to help identify something so somebody can relate to it, but never to answer or deliver us from the problem of real sin and failure as believers. One of, the, one of the words that I thought was a great word that I used that I think helped a lot of people when I called their inner thoughts internal dialogue. I mean, if you used that many times. I mean, I didn't come up with that. I mean, I read that. But I thought, hey, that's a good word for me to help describe things, what people can deal with, where they can communicate what they're doing. But I in no way want you to think forever that I've ever mentioned that through psychology or psychological terms or those ways that it can somehow deliver you. It may give a name to what you, a, a, a more modern name to what the Bible calls sin, unbelief. Let me just say this. Sin, which is the two twin sisters of pride and unbelief. Okay, twin brothers, I don't care, whatever you, whatever you feel. So you have pride and unbelief. There's no way that the world, that pride is going to cast out pride, or unbelief is going to cast out unbelief from you, or me. Because these sins hide in the dark places of our heart, and we can't see them. We can be doing so good. My marriage is good, my children are good, my money's good, but yet still be so proud about it, you don't realize it. And it's what's directing your life. And so what happens is incapable of bringing you righteousness, peace, and joy in your everyday walk. I've never seen so many people with so much money, so much recreational time, so many things in their life who are so miserable. I've never seen it. The dynamic... And this is going to rub people so raw, I don't even care. Because I love you enough to tell you this. But it's the dynamic of ecclesial life and ecclesial government that is the only hope for our deliverance from that pride and unbelief that's hiding down in the deep crevices of our minds and flesh. 20, 30 years ago, I taught this. And that is the number one characteristic of your suke. Your soulish man, your, your flesh man, your carnal mind. The number one characteristic he has, do you ready? Self-preservation. And he will preserve himself at the cost of everything he has. And only through submission to the government of God, the, 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 the Doma gift, the apostleship, spiritual fathering, at least that's the only way that you'll get an opportunity to see what's really real and what's really in your heart now. What does that do for me? It puts me under tremendous pressure. But in every relationship, there is a place of authority. And it's in Every relationship that if we're not submitted to that authority, then we don't get the flow of oil. Because the oil only comes when you are set and in place and under the authority of the head as it flows down. That's Remember, it's vertical. But in, of course, our society today, we, that's, a, that's a bad thing. If we don't. At least be given the opportunity through love, correction, speaking the truth, the anointing that breaks that yoke, that light preaching the light of God's word, which is a lamp. Remember, we've been talking about the, the uh, five foolish virgins. People who have a lamp, they got a lamp. They got the word even. They ain't got no oil. You can have the word and still not have, have the truth of the true gospel and not have the truth about what's really in your heart and now what's motivating you to be the way you are and to get delivered from it. So what do we do? We, we go get more knowledge instead of more oil. 
that comes only through being set under authority. Did you know that God's kingdom is a government? Did you know that? It's a government. He's going to come and set up his government. We are going to do what? We're going to rule and reign with him and be over people, his authority in his government, when he comes and destroys every other government. If it don't happen now, then it will happen the day Yahshua judges us, and then he will judge and expose the hearts of men. And y'all don't think we really want to wait till that day for it to happen. And when people talk to me and they say, you know, well, what's it use? You know, they're not scared anymore. They don't go burn in hell. I said, man, if, if preaching and burning in hell to you is, scares you to get saved, nobody's ever been saved by being scared of hell. And the fact is, I, I don't know anybody that's scared of hell. Because we really don't think there's really a hell. Or we wouldn't, people wouldn't be living the way they are. All right, this morning, I'm going to speak to us. And I believe it's the word of the Lord to us. I spoke last week on where we, okay, where do we go from here? Let me, let me tell you this. It may not appear today, but this church is thriving. We're thriving with the word. We're thriving financially. We're thriving, I believe, with people who are loving God and putting him first that are hungry. I, th- I see that. And so, you know, the vision is not changed. We're going to keep on going. I'll tell you what I did recently. I was... I started cleaning up some stuff. After I had my heart surgery, y'all, man, I'll tell you what I did. I, you know, I sold my boat because I just didn't want to walk to the pole barn and, and go down there and hook it up. I just didn't feel like doing it, man. After this heart surgery, man, I don't got me another boat. I feel so good. I'm so motivated. I got energy again. Shot 73 times this week. Not 70, in the 70s. I'll take that. Just, I was just messed up and didn't know it. And so... The, the, I look back, I was cleaning up some stuff. My wife said, clean that closet out. My God. I'm going to tell you what, I bet I threw away 20 pairs of shoes, didn't I, honey? I just couldn't do it. And the next day I got up, I wanted to put on some shoes, and the ones I wanted, <laughs> they wasn't there. I have a hard time throwing that kind of stuff away. But I just have to do it. And I was cleaning up some stuff out of my laptop because... Jonathan says I do it wrong because I have all these things lined up there. But anyhow, I, I clicked on a diary I used to keep. I used to journal a lot. But this was more like a diary. Now we don't have diaries. We just put everything on Facebook, true? He, did, he didn't kiss me goodnight tonight, and I don't know why, but tomorrow, when I, I mean, we just tell it all on Facebook now. You know, I've got this strained rash right on the back of my butt right there, and I, I, I take a picture of it. Just, can anybody identify what this rash is? I mean, that's it. y'all know people do that on Facebook, you know. You don't care anymore. Block. And I was reading. I was reading what I was doing then, what I was struggling with then. <laughs> It's the same story, same song, because that's what we'll always struggle with. That deficit is the deficit that God wants to deliver us from. And in spite of where our faith may be, because of my commitment to authority of doing and being where God's called me to be, that nothing can stop the blessing of that. And I was thinking about, oh God, you know, I mean, I am not moved whatsoever where we are in the church today bother me a bit so I'm preaching vision because we've always preached it and it's always brought forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness and that's what chastening of the Lord always brings if you don't faint or if you don't despise it if you endure it brings the peaceable fruit of righteousness there's people that do you know people that are smarter than the doctor we were little, my mother liked Soltis. How many of you know what Soltis is? It, is? it is Vicks Vapor Rub on steroids. And it's white. And if we had a sore throat or something, our mother would grab us, and she put it in that jar, and she put that stuff down on our tonsils and around our throat and stuff. Well, guess what? Do not swallow poisonous. 
Did she even care? Still, still got a little thing going on up there. But. I know people who are smarter than the mechanic. No, I can fix that. No, let me do that. Give me, what's that wire go to? Click. And I know a lot of people who think they're smarter than God. Young people, I know, teenagers, man, you know, but teenagers, their mind ain't, I know their parents probably tell them this, you know, and, but, you know, our, your mind don't develop. But when we're teenagers, how many of you know that we know everything until we find out the truth? But I know a lot of people who are, who are spiritual teenagers, technons, we used to call them, puffed up with knowledge. They're like the teenager that says this, and no offense, teenagers, but because I'm talking about, I'm talking about spiritual teenagers too. When you tell them something, before you can explain it to them, oh, okay, I know, 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 I know. I got it from here. I got it from here. Okay, go ahead. Go around the mountain again. I'll be sitting here waiting on you. Maybe not. Maybe I'll be on down the road. But I'll sit here waiting on you so I can tell you if you'll shut up and listen and do what I say. You know what? You ain't going to have to go around that mountain again. Yeah, but I got a new suit on around the mountain this time. I got a nicer car around the mountain this time. I'm talking about the real mountain. There's a Greek word that describes those kind of people. It's fusiu. First Corinthians chapter 4, it's used three times. It is a word that refers to an instrument that puffs air into a fire that makes it hotter. The Apostle Paul uses it seven times it's used in the New Testament. Six of those times it's used in the book of 1 Corinthians. And Paul uses this description of the Corinthian church. Fusiu, fusiu. I'm like, man. Now I'll tell you what I entitled this. And no offense to anybody that may think this is referring to them, but I call it, I call it the big head. No, nothing personal. I don't say anything. Uh, you know, when I was a little kid, I mean, whatever. Listen. These believers in Corinthians, these Cor Corinthians, they had this characteristic about them. They were, they had the big head. How many of you know what that means? Paul called it puffed up. You're puffed up. They had this arrogance and self-importance. Paul takes pains to tell them, remind them that this problem, and he's saying, look, you got the big head. You're puffed up. You're a bunch of hot air. Because that's what your daddy will do to you. He'll talk to you like a man. Chapter 5, verse 2, Paul used the word. He said, you become puffed up. you got a big head and have not mourned. He's talking about a situation in that church where a sin of a gross and perverted kind had been known publicly, and guess what they did? They just overlooked it. It was a man who was having sex with either his stepmother or mother, and nobody said nothing about it. They had become so focused on them, their life, their journey, what they were doing, me, their, and, and having, having that pride about whatever it is they're having their pride about because it's relevant. How many of you know that some people have pride about $500 a week as much as, and maybe more than some people that have pride for $1,000 a week? It just depends on the person. They weren't even sorrowful over the, this horrible thing in the church that was prevalent. You know why? Because the church, the ecclesia, was no longer important to them. Because they thought they could get oil somewhere else. But the fact is, they didn't think they even needed oil, just like the foolish virgins. I don't need no oil. I don't need to go to church to get that. I'm, now, am I promoting church? No, let me tell you what right now. I can tell you this. I'm going to say this publicly. If I were to shut the church down today, I would still be okay financially. You understand that? There's people who, who send tithes to me and offerings to me. I'm not here because of any other reason except one thing. This is the only way you're going to get all. And it's the only way I'm going to get all. I've already given you your lamps. The, lamp is a, uh, the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto my path. I've given you the lamp and the light, but if your light goes out because you ain't got the oil that you didn't get here, guess what? You're never going to see what's really dark in your heart. He said, and I want to say this. There are people joined to me as an apostle and submitted to the spiritual father who can't be here. 
It can work that way. Look at Revelation 3.17. It's always this problem. And that's being rich, becoming wealthy. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it makes you so stupid, we don't think we need anything. We don't need, I don't need to see, to see Charlotte at church. I don't need to see Connie at church or, or Johnny Johnson. Why do I don't need to see them. What do I need to see them for? I have need of nothing. But the Bible says, and you know, do not know that really you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The church at Laodicea was blinded to its own dire need. The church at Corinth had the same problem. Most of us know someone who feels that they are above the rules that govern everybody else. Yeah, but I don't have to. Listen, I got angry not long ago. When I don't need to go to church. I said, you sure don't, because it ain't done you no damn good for 15 years. Excuse me. We'll cut that out of the video, okay? That's a joke between she and I. These are Corinthians like this. Do you know, Johnny, look, man, <laughs> you know what I mean, you know what I got, you know what I do, you know what I have, you know what I have. Do you know who I am? <laughs> I deserve to be judged differently than everyone else. Yeah, I know there are some people that need to be there, but you can just exclude me from those rules. And Paul said, that's what I'm talking about. Chapter 8, verse 1, I love this. Someone who feels they have superior insight regard themselves as a cut above the others. Yeah, I puff people up here. My fault. Because I gave them knowledge they would never have. I gave them the keys to the kingdom and the words of life. So to immortality, I gave them that. And guess what that knowledge did? It just puffed them up. Because it made them think there's something they're not. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. Watch this. But love edifies. People, it's humorous to me when I hear people use words that somehow it, it makes us feel superior that other people don't understand. Hallelujah. Yes, we go to the ecclesia. Yahweh, Yeshua. I mean, we, you know. But these people, even no matter if it's their field of academics, computer, sports, whatever, their lingo excludes the uninitiated, the uninformed, namely the rest of us in their opinion. Well, I can't, even, I can't hold a conversation to you because you won't understand what I'm saying. I'm like, you know, I believe that part's true. You know, you can understand us. This is what the Apostle Paul said to that kind of big-headed mindset. Knowledge puffs up. Love edifies. Corinthians took much pride in what the knowledge that Paul had given to them. They didn't demonstrate what that word is supposed to do in your heart and expose all that ugly, dark spot, self-aggrandizing, self-preserving attitude. Arrogance is what knowledge only, now you got to have it both, spirit word, the character, their character was demonstrating arrogance. When the gospel that I preach and the gospel that I believe demonstrates love and humility and cares about the needs of others before ourselves. Chapter 13, the love chapter. Here's this long argument. Also Paul talking to these Corinthians, these big heads, the big-headed ones. And they're inclined he said, to be contentious, and they compete, and they fight among themselves. And this is what he said. He addresses even certain of the women who thought that this new freedom of the, of that they, they received and knowledge they have, that, the, that they could just dishonor their husbands or their authority because of it. And let me tell you what Paul said. He's going to explain it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Listen to this one. Love ain't jealous. Love does not brag and is not big-headed. What I try to do once a week is I work on something where I try not to talk and say anything about myself and try to listen to what everybody else is saying. 
without me saying, you know, if they're telling me a story, they say, hey, man, I went fishing yesterday and I caught 10 fish. Hey, man, I went fish. I got fish. I caught 50 one time. I mean, you know, that's kind of what we do. We wait on them if they'd hurry up and finish that sentence so we could jump up and get back to me. Huh? Uh-huh. Let's get back to me. I want to get back to me. All right. Let me tell you what I did. Let me tell you what I have. I, when I was this, when I was 12, when I was 13, when I was 15, when I was, I did this, I went that, you did. You, listen, a lot of times conversations, you start off a conversation and you can just sit back because they'll take over that conversation and it'll be all about them. You see what kind of deer I got. You kind of, I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong to, to, to talk about it, but when people are con, contentiously and always have this characteristic, excuse me, characteristic to where all they're doing is talking about themselves and, and all this stuff. And then what I believe, what I am, and what I have, and what I do. What I, one of the greatest things I do is I let people talk about what they believe. And they'll, they'll talk enough to know that they'll have to admit, I really don't know what I believe. If you just let them go. Just let them go a little bit. So well, what do you believe? And, you know, and... And why do you believe that? Well, I, you know, I believe that. and I, I don't know why I believe it. I said, well, can I tell you why? <clears throat> Chapter 11, verse 18 through 22. For, for there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For eating... Everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What is that? What is he saying there? He's saying basically this. Look, you don't care about other people. You're there to get your food on, get your grub on, and, and then you're just going to drink yourself to where you, you're, so, you're not capable of paying attention to somebody else's need. You're there to party for yourself and please yourself. What? Paul said, don't you have houses to do that in? Are you, why do you despise God's house and shame them that don't have? What shall I say to you? I, shall I praise you in this? I don't. You despise God's church, shame those who don't have as much as you and aren't, don't, aren't as, as uh, fancy as you are and, and cosmopolitan as you are and, and well-versed in things as you are and well-dressed and have their life under control like you do. You want to look at their selves. And people are starving. This is what he said. This is what you don't understand. <laughs> he wants to choke them. Everybody loves somebody so much. You just want to choke them. Have you ever loved somebody so much that you wanted to choke them? Let me see your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, now point to them if they're here. If not, stand up and yell their name right now. <laughs> he said, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Please listen to me today. Please listen to me today. You're not as gifted as me. You're not as talented as me. You're not in the same thing as me. We come in kind of with our entourage. We find our seats. We sit there. We may do this. God bless you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're glad to see me. Yes, I'm here finally to bless you and to bless you with my presence. I'm the apostle here. Do you know that? The Bible says love isn't big-headed, but the Corinthians all were. I'm sure Paul must have felt like a failure. Here he's preaching. Does that mean he didn't preach the truth to them? Has he failed in telling them what the Bible says? Was he wrong somewhere? Nope. They were the peacocks of the early church. That's what I almost named this, the peacocks of the early church. Have you ever heard a peacock before? They are beautiful. But man, if you're close to them and they scream, it'll give you a heart attack. Preening, striking postures, loving that they saw what they saw in their own reflection. And when they didn't get the attention, and when they don't get the attention of being the high lofty one that they have deceived themselves to be, guess what? They can't remain in a place like that. Or maybe the people that Yahweh's joined me too or you too aren't high society enough for us. Or maybe they're too high society. He said, look, there's nothing that will choke out the word and abort 
and bring a cancer to the body of Christ worse than arrogance and pride. The Bible, listen to this. The Bible says God hates a proud look. Just the look of being proud. I used to do it like this. You got that new car, you know, hey, yeah. A proud look. Style, not substance. Glamour, not beauty. Bluster, not power. May win human approval. But I want to tell you something today, and I hope we get this and everybody's listening to me. You don't impress God one bit. Paul's argument is this in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Let a man regard us in this manner. How should we be regarded? As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it's required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Let me tell you what Paul said this. I used to, when I taught on the apostleship a lot, and I was introducing that to people years and years and years ago, this is what people, that's what I told them. Paul, a servant of the Lord Yeshua Christ. He didn't boast about any titles or anything that he could have said, who wrote all the books in the New Testament almost. That word servant was so interesting to me years ago that I always wanted to know what it was because that was how we are to present ourselves. That's how we are to, that's the mindset that we should have. That's the attitude and posture we should take. Are you ready for it? Are you going to be able to take it this morning? Take 10 deep breaths. Watch this. The word is huperites. And this is what it means. Under rower. Under rower. Paul said that the position that we should take is one as a galley slave who spent his days chained below the decks of a boat rowing in concert with other slaves to move a boat in water. Well, hallelujah. If you want to get, be proud, then you get in that line. An under rower. Most people don't trust that. I don't need to run the world. I don't want to be left out. I'm going to be left out. Because of the pride and unbelief, those two main roots, every sin comes out of that, those two roots right there. It will not allow a man or a woman to become an under rower. Pride ain't going to let you. I mean, I'm going to be an under rower. What are you talking about? Because that unbelief don't trust God. To give the promotion and the increase. And, and if just being an under-rower in God's house should be enough for immortality. That's a good trade, I would think. These galley slaves didn't ask any questions. They did one thing. They concentrated on doing what the slave master told them to do. Row, row, row. And here they were, all under-rowers, working together. In unison, causing the boat to get to the destination. What a great analogy that is. When you had somebody who was supposed to be an under rower, but they didn't want to cooperate, how do you think the rest of the under rowers felt about that person? We wanted to make him an overboarder. <laughs> hey, dude, can't you just come and help us row a little while? Don't you see what the purpose of God is here? It ain't about you. It ain't about what kind of nice paddle you got or about whether you're going to get promoted to, to be what or something else. This is about getting the ship of Zion home to port. What we're trying to do here, can't you just come and help us? Do you not understand that you are insignificant and the only purpose that you will ever be fulfilled in is when you're doing the will of God who created you? No, the purpose is just something that your pride is, is going to imitate and fabricate to, to make you think you're doing something, but you'll never get the real liberty and freedom and out of darkness into his marvelous light until you do. Get rid of your big head. <laughs> These stewards of the mysteries. Our knowledge is something. We're stewards of that. You know, it was, a steward was the title of a household slave who was in charge of all of his master's affairs. The role of Joseph had in Potiphar's house. He was a steward. The chief steward. Paul's job description also. He had the charge of dispensing the valuable commodities of the true gospel and what he was doing. And I'm going to tell you what. Paul, we think, was a successful guy. I read to you the other day all the Stuff he had to go through. Who wants his job? And he topped it off with 
having to put up with all the crap at, at, the church, at churches. He'd been stoned and beat. And, man, and I see people whine because I preach a little long. Well, let, me you, let me tell you this. Apostle Paul, I never did been as long as him. I preach people to sleep, but I've never seen them fall out of a window before. Paul said this, and it is required of stewards, under rowers, that they be found trustworthy, that they be accountable for the faithfulness of their stewardship. I'm frustrated at the world today, of course, but everybody has always been frustrated with politics. But when they make these drugs, especially let's talk about insulin. And, and drugs that really you can go to another country and buy for like $2. But here they want to charge you so much that you can't even afford it and people die because they can't afford it. I don't think that's being a good steward of the mysteries. But is it any different than us who know the true gospel and yet deny those others who have need of this Wonderful drug that can give them immortality. No different than insulin giving somebody life or any other drug. But yet we want to, people protest about that, but yet we who know the gospel, who are stewards of this great mystery, we don't even share it with nobody else because we just, this is what we say, they won't understand. Well, I'll tell you what they're not going to understand. They're going to understand on that day when you, and you ain't told them nothing. And number two, Yahshua ain't going to understand. So while we're busy finding ourselves, what we should be is rowing this boat to port and being a steward of the mystery and making sure that other people. And in the process of doing that, let me tell you what, you won't find yourself, but God will find you. He'll be in the, that light in the darkness will shine to a place and he'll deliver you from that place that you're struggling with, that you want to get out of, that you want to make happen. But I'm going to tell you, if you're trying to do it on your own power, you're wasting your time and it's going to wind up, you're going to wind up wore out and probably blame God on it. The mysteries of God. Let me tell you another term for this. Listen to this. The lost secrets to immortality. Do you understand or have you just taken it for granted? That you have been given the lost secret, the immortality, the lost secret. Now that don't mean you got to become an evangelist and you got to go on the, you know, it, all it means is you got to come to the house of God, get in the boat and be under row. Let's row the boat and let us in our world. Let me tell you this. If you haven't told the people you love the true gospel in some way or attempt, Either one or two things are true. You don't really love them, or you don't really believe the true gospel. It's just that easy. If I knew somebody that had diabetes, and they've never heard of insulin before, I wouldn't just say, well, I'm not going to tell them. What if they don't understand me? What you do, you just get up there with that needle, and you just stab them in the neck, and you shoot it into them. And they said, now you're saved. Just like you would do when you shove everything else down the throats of people that they don't want to hear you say. And don't say we don't do that. And them Republicans and those Democrats, they go, they go stabbing people and shooting them in that stuff. And they're, 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 they'll argue with them. Well, I just don't know what to say, Johnny. Let me tell you, after you've been here 20 years and hearing this every day, the, the reason you don't know what to say is that you just are you're disconnected. You care more about everything else in the world that you know all about than you do these beautiful lost secrets to immortality. That we can bring life to needy people. What if, what if they don't like me anymore? Then you're not really going to care because God's going to deliver you from that Amorite, from that that unbelief that causes insecurity. See, it's that root of unbelief that's causing all these insecurities in you. It ain't the insecurity you need to get rid of. It needs that unbelief that you got to get rid of. Only God can deliver you from the root of those, all of those things. Insecurities, unbelief, you know, all of that. Come, I mean, insecurities and uh, ins what else I say? Man, we could go the whole list. Let me tell you what. Psychologists. Already know these things, if that makes you feel better. They can tell you all the things that happen 
I can tell you ultimately this, that pride will lead you ultimately to homicide. And unbelief will ultimately bring you to suicide. It may not be where you literally kill somebody, but you want to kill everybody. And it may not be that you'll shoot, put a gun to your head and shoot it, but you will hurt yourself and think bad of yourself and want to kill yourself, so to speak. And everything in between that is what causes, comes from those two roots. You can't, you can't just deal with symptoms, and that's all we can deal with. You've got to deal with the root. Look, I'm sick of going to the doctor and dealing with symptoms. Last time I was in the hospital, man, after I had COVID, my blood pressure was just boom, boom. It was going so high. I'm like, man, I, I guess I need to go to the hospital at 2.30 over 1.15. I don't know if I should or not. I think I want to go. They, you know, so I get there, go through the whole thing. They just want to throw more medicine at me. A week later, I had an incident like I did with you, Reggie, that day. At the mall, y'all know what happened? I, I went out. They took me in, and I found out that the number one symptom or effect of what I had was passing out, just like I did it. And not one person diagnosed me as that. I went to the hospital. They did a whole thing on me. Do you know? I went to the hospital after that second episode. I mean, I think it was 2019 when, 2019 when I did it. At the, up at, with Reggie, Reggie, Reggie said, I'm taking you to the, I kind of came to you, he said, I'm taking you to the hospital. I said, because I said, you missed your turn, your hotel's over there. He said, no, I'm taking you to the hospital. I said, no, you ain't either. He said, well, here's Bevy, you tell her you're not, that I'm not. <laughs> well, I get, I'm in the hospital now, they check me out, my blood pressure. I thought, man, I'm going to have a stroke or something, I don't know. So guess what they did? They gave me medicine. I'm not against medicine. Let's just hear what I'm trying to say. Okay, give me the medicine. Give me medicine. Give me medicine. I, I, I believe in medicine. But what happened was, they were getting ready to dismiss me from the hospital on Tuesday. That happened on a Sunday. Tuesday, I'm sitting there. The, the doctor that's the, just the hospital doctor, he comes in there, and he's, he's telling me all this stuff about, you know, how to control, how to breathe, and you can get your blood pressure down. Again, symptom. We got your meds for this. But I had asked them, it wasn't him, it was another person. Hey, I want to know the root of this. What's the root of me doing this? One lady came in with a echocardiogram thing. She's sitting right there. And she didn't have it on there five seconds. And she gave this look. I said, what? She said, do you know you have a heart murmur? I said, I have one all my life. Why didn't somebody get to the root of that? She said, yeah, you, gotta, you have a bad, and she told me, she diagnosed it. So all this stuff, they're just throwing stuff at the, at the symptoms instead of getting to the root. Now guess what? I got the root taken care of. God gets to the root. You never can. It'll be like that, those wild grapevines at my house. You ever had them? Oh, those things are rooted in the depths of hell. And you can pull them, but then when you get to the ground and you pull them, you, I mean, they, and then they'll snap off. You can't dig them out with a backhoe. I promise you it's true. That's what sin and pride and unbelief, that's how deep it is in you. And you'll start pulling on the outside, but it'll snap off and the root stays there. And guess what happened when the root stays? It comes back. It comes back. I'm almost finished. If you hadn't sang so long today, I'd have had plenty of time. <laughs> Paul said, I'm an under rower. He said, I'm a steward of the mysteries. What was supremely important was the day that coming, and Yahshua was going to judge him. And this is what he says in verse 5. Listen to this. Listen. In judgment, God will bring to light things hidden in the darkness. He's going to bring to light the things that are hidden down in our heart that keeps bringing fruit. And he will disclose the motive of men's hearts. He's going to bring all those things out into judgment. The judgment should begin at the house of God. He's he going to judge your motives because they were critical. 
Many people do a lot of things, but in their heart, they're really doing it for the wrong motive and the wrong reason. That's hard to get down to and change. How many of you know that? Ultimately, you know, okay, why am I doing it? Why am I doing it? I'm doing all this. But really, there's something deep in there that's motivating. And it's probably either this, because you want to be accepted or you, want to be, you don't want to be rejected. Well, I don't feel that way about myself. Okay. Corinthians were filled with a sense of their own importance. We're definitely assigned to fight a difficult war. Spiritual fathers and apostles get reviled, but we have to respond humbly and peaceably. We have to sit back and try to understand where a person's coming from and, and when they put you down. The Apostle Paul explained those kind of things that happened, but he wasn't really complaining. It was okay to him because it makes sense to him that the Lord would give him the assignment to be in the bottom of the boat. Because he knew because of sin, he was the scum of the earth. And nobody today, because of sin, believes they're the scum of the earth. They're diseased with sin so bad that all it took was one for God to reject Adam and sentence him to the punishment of death. Can I get another chance? No. That's how bad sin is to God. I think we need to get that straightened out because in America, I don't know anybody that hates sin anymore. I said, I don't know anybody that hates sin anymore unless it grabs your, one of your kids by the throat and throws them down. We think it's okay to sin unless it's not a popular sin for us. See, I think the sin, the problem aren't the sins. I think it's sin. It's that... Sin man. It's the thing that Yahshua destroyed on the cross. Where he says in Philippians 2.14. That he destroyed him that hath power over death. That is the devil. So he destroyed that devil. The Bible calls this thing we're talking about. Pride and unbelief. That sin. The devil. He destroyed him. I asked people. say, well, so if. Do you believe your Bible? I said, yeah. So do you believe that what Yeshua did on the cross, did he fail at doing that? Oh, no, no. Well, well then, okay, we agree. I say there never was a Satan, devil, like you do. I, and you say there was, so you have to agree that he's dead now. Because Yeshua killed him. He destroyed him. The real word destroy means annihilate. He no longer exists, the devil. So, so we, we agree together. And they said, no, wait a minute. I don't think we do. Guys, I'm going to tell you. This world that we live in in America today, with all the blessing and all the prosperity and all the time we have and all that, I'll tell you what, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get us in trouble. I think it already has. I think we're in trouble, man. I think we're in trouble. I don't think we hate sin. I love the Lord, Johnny. Yeah, okay. But do you hate sin? Do you hate sin? Do you really hate sin? Or have we been lured in by television who slowly gets us to <laughs> kind of laugh at sin. Started off with being drunk. How many of you know that everybody on TV that was drunk back in they first started doing showing those kind of things, he was always funny. Otis, Otis is funny, isn't he? Huh? He comes in drunk, he opens his door, he's drunk. <laughs> that, that Otis is funny. Drunkenness is hilarious. It's okay. It's not bad. Y'all see what's happened to us? I'll tell you what. We need more than psychology to get us out of this mess. Y'all hear me? We need more than little catchphrases, you know. My internal dialogue. Oh, I, I know that ain't going to get me saved and delivered. We need the power of Christ. We need to all get in the bottom of this boat and start rowing together. Because you're not going to hate sin by yourself. Because being by yourself is sin. I say I was almost done. Paul said, look, I ain't writing this to shame you. I'm admonishing you. And this is the worst drawback about people who are puffed up. They can't back up what they think of themselves. Y'all hear me? Big-headed people can't back up what they think of themselves. So what they're thinking, they're deceived. It's not true because they can't perform it. When I have people come to me and say this, Johnny, I love you, man. I'm never going to leave. I'm here. I'm not like so-and-so and so-and-so. When they tell me that, I'll tell you, it makes me freeze. I'm like, oh, my God. I've seen it time after time and time again. I'm not like him. I'm not like him. 
I'm not like him. We have to be so careful. We get the big head and what happens is we keep puffing air in that old balloon. We like to pat ourselves on the back. Well, I tell you what I did. I've done this and I've done that. And what if, until it's time for somebody to come test us about what we say we believe. That's what the spiritual father Paul was doing right there. He was planning on doing it. I'll tell you. I, he said, I hope I can see some humility and some, some maturity. They can learn from Paul. He sent, excuse me, Timothy. He sent him there. And if they didn't learn it from Timothy, he said, look, okay, hang on. I'm coming, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of this. And what I'm going to do when I get there, I'm going to pop your balloon. Because I don't talk to you like a man and like a grown-up, face-to-face, somebody that loves you enough to offend you with the, with the chance of you walking away out of their life. He said, well, I'm coming. We have this knowledge, and we talk. We get puffed up. Maybe we were ignorant, you know, and we had knowing stuff, knowing more than somebody else really is maybe our thing, you know. I know this more than you, and you don't know that because I'm better than you, and maybe not thinking that way. But I've heard them talk the talk. I mean eloquently. I'm talking about talking. I mean encouragingly, inspirationally, man. People tell me stuff. It makes me feel so good. Yes, thank you, Father. I love it so much. I'm just so thankful. But when it's time to do it, they fail the test. Paul said, look, I'm not going to say, I'm not like you. I'm not like him. I'm not like him. Yeah, we're all alike. Y'all hear what I just said? We're all just under rowers. That's all we are. He said, look, you look back on my life. I have done and backed up what I said. The evidence would show by the power of his gospel that people who were spiritually led, dead, became alive by what the apostle Paul preached. Arrogance always misrepresents what the truth is because then it comes to something that's about knowing. And when it comes time to know, knowledge puffs them up. But when it comes time to do, guess what happens? Where doing is required, you ever let go of a balloon? (laughs) This is what I hear people many times do. You ever got a balloon and said, pretty and there they go all right into this group of people man they're on a high we do one man we know this we do this look at us man i'm taking care of me i'm getting my life in order i'm getting myself in order i'm doing oh really well you're not capable of doing that don't you realize that (laughs) i learned i spent a lot of years thinking i was somehow capable of setting my life in order a time has come and will come that they're either going to shut up or put up this morning, I'm going to stop there. Hey, thank you for your financial support. You better do what I say or you're not joined to me. God bless you.